Welcome, everybody, to Fall Launch 2020. We're so pumped for today. I want to start off and give a, a shout-out to everybody gathered at Hager Park in Georgetown Township. Also, the Fulton Heights Farmers Market in Grand Rapids. And everybody in the Kentwood Auditorium today, welcome. Welcome. And I also want to uh, celebrate and welcome those of you joining at Encounter Church Online, individuals wherever you are, in your apartments or homes, living rooms, kitchen tables, back deck, patios, everybody around the world, welcome. We are a church that's scattered around the world, but also gathered together for worship this morning. Hey, we're kicking off a brand new series here at Encounter called Further Faster. And the idea behind this series is simply that God is taking this church further than we ever thought possible, faster than we could have imagined. And just a little backstory on, uh, on that title and kind of where God has been moving and been pulling us and dragging us at times is that last December, which is about 10 years ago for those, those of you keeping track, uh, I convened a, a vision group uh, of about 30 people and, uh, and 30 people, five different tables, six at each table, and, and they unanimously kind of came to this visioning discernment conclusion that God was asking us to step out in faith in 2020 and start a brand new church in the heart of Grand Rapids, north of where we are right now. And we had no idea, no clue how in the world God would do this, what he would do, the mountains that he would have to move to make this possible. I mean, seven-day-a-week space, being part of a community. We're thinking like, you know, gathering in a living room or maybe a school cafeteria or something. And then God just knocked our socks off and just started moving those mountains. When last July, just a couple of months ago, uh, we were gifted this incredible building at 1736 on Medical Mile, it's an incredible facility that is going to house God's people for worship for years to come and what we're going to call Encounter Fulton Heights. And one of my favorite parts about this awesome building is that there are people around the building. Like I said, about two miles from the hospital downtown Grand Rapids, a sweet community where there are 2,791 people living in that community who don't yet know Jesus. And so that's why we're doing this. That's what it's about. And so I thought, hey, listen, to get us to the place of getting ready to start a brand new church in the heart of Grand Rapids, in addition to this church, we're going to need to know why. Like, why do we do what we do? Why do we worship the way? How, why do decisions get made the way they do? What gets us up out of bed in the morning? What breaks our hearts? Why does not just this church exist? Why does the church exist? exist. And the short answer for that one is we exist to bring people who are far from God to new life in Jesus Christ. And this, that's a short answer. The slightly longer answer, I'm actually going to step aside and let Jesus explain it to you out of the book of Luke chapter 15. For those of you who've been around Encounter for a little while, you know that this chapter out of the Bible um, is like the foundation story of Encounter Church. And we come back to it again and again. But for life of me, I don't think I've ever preached on this passage. You see, Jesus told a particular story three different ways. And each time he told the story, the ratios were different and some of the characters are different. So this is a story that Jesus tells three times with he, when somebody had 100 sheep and one went missing, 10 coins and one went missing, and then two sons and one went missing. And another one we don't ever find out actually if he came home or not, but we'll save that one 
for part four of the message series. So what I'm going to do this morning is, is we have so many exciting things, so much going on here at the church. I'm just going to be very direct and to ask you to stay engaged, whether that's here at Kentwood, whether that's online, to continue to experience this time of worship and these messages together in real time. Don't delay and kind of do the thing where we catch up on Monday or Wednesday or whenever it is. Like, that's cool if you have to, but do whatever you can to experience all of this together as we kind of go through this journey of opening up a brand new church all together. Okay, so Luke chapter 15, it starts off in verse 1 about those sheep, the hundred sheep and the one that goes missing. Listen to this in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Don't you just love that Jesus is the kind of guy that tax collectors and sinners just love to be around? Like, he was the kind of guy that is like, listen, even though I completely disagree with everything that you're telling me about how to live, still going to show up next week and hang out. I just love that Jesus was that. And we as a church, we aspire to be that, to aspire to be a church that even unchurched people love to attend. Okay, verse two. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so like the religious, the serious people, they muttered kind of under their breath, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This isn't so much of a comment as it is a condemnation. Like, this isn't just kind of making an observation uh, neutrally about, the, about Jesus and the people who are gathered around him. You can kind of tell the shame in their voice. You can tell the condemnation, the judgment in their voice. This man welcomes sinners. <laughs> so, you know, him. So the question kind of this morning, right, is oftentimes we look at people like that, the Pharisees, religious leaders, whoever they are, and you see the condemnation and judgment in their tone, even if it's not in their words. And we sometimes make the mistake of thinking, well, if that's how religious leaders think about sinners or people far from God, maybe that's how God thinks about me and my relative proximity to God or away from him. And so this morning is, this morning is just a simple question is, what does God think about that? What is God, how does God feel about that? How does God feel about you? How do you feel about some people, especially maybe if they're, if they're kind of hard to love, let alone like. I'm thinking of a few different groups of people that are just, for me, I mean, hard, hard to love, you know, hard to like. Uh, groups of people that, you know, hypocrites are in that, you know, in that, in that category. People who manipulate others, you know, you've seen those people. They're hard to like. But there's one group of people that just gets under my skin like none other. And to get to know who those are, you got to know a little something about me. I'm on the strength finders kind of inventory. Positivity is like off the chart every time I've taken it. There's glass half empty people. There's glass half full people. And there's glass about to overflow if there was just a little more water in it kind of people. That's me. I'm the positive. So it's like somebody who's like a critical person can find their way under my skin like none other. I did a... Uh, and an internship when I was in uh, pastor training school and seminary, 15 weeks I was at this, uh, this church that was without a pastor at the time because um, the pastor of that church who was there for a long, long time, it went bad. I mean, it went get the lawyers involved kind of bad, okay? And I didn't know anything about that until I got there, which was an awesome surprise. And, uh, and I show up on site and listen, like everybody else is like, cool, you're new, you're, you know, young, you have no idea what you're doing, God bless you. Um, but uh, hey, you kind of represent the future. And so generally, they really, really liked me, even though I had no idea what I was doing and made a ton of mistakes. But they told me, they warned me, there was this one couple 
There's this one couple in the church that no matter what I did, they warned me. They loved the previous guy and felt like he was entirely wrong in this whole thing. And so they just warned me and they said, they're not going to like you no matter what, because you represent something different. You represent the future. You represent kind of the severing of the past. They're not going to like you. And so I made it because of my positivity. I made it my mission, church. They were not only going to like me, I was going to get them to smile most Sundays. I mean, it was, it, so I did everything that I could, right? I chased them down after church. Hey, well, you know, good to see you. You know, who are you? What are you about? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Just love bombing projects in full motion calling them during the week, finding ways of running into them, and just being nice and friendly, telling jokes from up front that I thought that they would really get into and kind of find humorous, that it would speak to them a bit more. I mean, I thought I was doing everything right. And listen, 15 weeks of this goes by. And did they like me by the end of the summer? No, they did not. They did not like me, by the, but did they smile at me? Also, no, they didn't smile <laughs> at all during the summer either. Critical the entire time. So I walked away from that place and I said, God bless them because I can't stand them. It's getting under my skin. And there's some people that I just really hard time loving. And so sometimes it's easy then for us to look around at other people and say, oh, easy. There's no way that God likes them if nobody else can. And that's what today's question, that's what today's story is about. And Jesus tells this thing to say, listen, How does God feel about those sinners? How does God feel about those lost people? How does God feel about those who've gone out missing? And so Jesus fills that out for us in verse 3. And listen, he says this. Then Jesus told them, he told the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, like he told the uh, the religious people, the experts, this parable. Suppose one of you, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, suppose one of you, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So it's important that we recognize he is talking to the religious leaders when he says this, because he is calling them. He's like, suppose one of you religious people is now a shepherd. And immediately Jesus is offending them. Some of you have heard that Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus isn't always a nice guy. Sometimes Jesus was offensive, intentionally offensive. So in this culture, In this culture, when they were a Pharisee teacher of the religious types, usually that meant they were a little little arrogant, a little self-important, maybe a little pompous. And the shepherds are the exact opposite of that. The shepherds are the social outcasts. The shepherds are the people people didn't want to talk to. The shepherds were the bottom class. And now Jesus says, hey, listen, suppose you're a shepherd. And immediately they're offended. And that's Jesus' plan. And that's Jesus' plan today, too. So I want to tell you that Jesus sometimes has a way of offending the mind to reveal the heart. And so there's a solid chance that I'm going to say something today that is going to offend your mind. And before you get angry at me or Jesus or anything else like that, I just want to invite you to consider what's happening inside of your heart. Let's continue on with the passage. Verse 4. Jesus tells this story. Doesn't he, the the shepherd, doesn't he leave the 99 sheep in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I want to just, a quick question. Um, I need to know before going any further, and you guys can participate online as well, uh, Facebook, YouTube, drop in the comments below. Are there any, by show of hands, 
Are there any sheep experts in the room? I mean, people that are just like, I know all about sheep. I've got it down. I was a shepherd for a while. Nobody. Let the record reflect. Nobody in our Kentwood Auditorium has their hands raised. Perfect, because I'm not either. And I'm going to share a few facts about sheep and shepherds that I Googled. What are sheep like? 101 facts about sheep. Google it. That's where a lot of this content comes from. It was message research earlier on this week. So I learned a few things. So feel free to correct me, even though you've already said you're not an expert. But jump in here if I'm wrong. A couple facts. Three facts. Number one, sheep have poor eyesight. Anybody? Objection? One for one. Not bad. Okay, verse two. Sheep joke. I did it wrong. Okay. Fact number two. Sheep are a flocking animal. They're social animals. I said flocking, by the way. They're a social animal. They gather with other animals. Fun fact is that it's not so fun fact if you're there. 2005, I think it was, Turkey, uh, some shepherds went to go get a cup of coffee. Not too far away. They could see their sheep. And they watched, actually, as one sheep after another, they all moved off a cliff. 1,500 of them to their demise. $86,000 worth of property damage in sheep. Why? Because they're a flocking social animal. They stick together. Good? Objection? No? Two for two. <laughs> Eyesight, social, flocking animal. Number three, sheep don't wander off. Sheep don't wander off and go missing unless there's something wrong with it. You know when a sheep is wanders off, when it's sick, when it's confused, when it got stuck, sheep don't simply go missing. And this is the part of it that's going to, this is the part of it I think that's going to be somewhat offensive. And, and just, just kind of hear me out, because the lostness of the sheep is not determined by the opinion of the sheep. The lostness of the sheep isn't determined by the opinion of the sheep, but the knowledge of the shepherd. So even though the sheep may have wandered off and thought, this seems good to me, this seems right to me, this, this makes me happy, it doesn't matter. The lostness or foundness of the sheep isn't determined by the sheep and the, its opinion. That lostness is determined in the knowledge, the expert knowledge of the shepherd. Let me break it down for you like this. When I was a kid, some of you have like family legends, you know, that get told and retold over and over again. This is, this is one of mine. When I was maybe six or seven, it gets younger every time we tell the story. But like I'm six years old, let's say, and, uh, and my family, we're vacationing in, uh, in South Florida, you know, like good Michiganders heading down you know, during spring break. And, and I, I get lost. I'm the youngest in my family, and somehow I get separated from them, and I bolt, I bolt from where we're standing in the parking lot of the on ramp or something like that. I bolt across three lanes of highway interstate, and I find myself in the median. Like, I just kind of zigzag in and out. Busy, busy highway now, and, and I zigzag throughout Frogger style to, like, get in the, the median. And I'm now, I'm stuck, and I can see there's, you know, three Three lanes that way, three lanes that way. I got across three more lanes in order to get back. But the thing about it was, I didn't think that I was lost. In fact, I barely even remember crossing the street to get to the other side, or in this case, kind of the, the median, the grassy patch in the middle. But my parents about had a heart attack. In fact, 
if my lovely mother is watching this right now, she is proud. She needs you to lean over to her and say, it's going to be okay. He's okay. Your boy is okay. Because they saw me dart across Frogger style and, and like chase at me. Stop, stop. You know, and I stop in the road. Like, go. I don't, I don't know, right? And I'm like, well, I'll just come back. And they're like, no, no, stay there. We'll come to you. In the eyes of my parents, they knew the danger that I was in. They knew how vulnerable I was. My relative lostness was not determined by me, a six-year-old kid crossing the highway. It was determined by my parents' expert wisdom in knowing he's in mortal danger. On a spiritual level, I want to tell you that the Bible teaches us that we have an adversary whose sole reason for existence is to seek out and devour that which goes missing, that which goes lost. And it doesn't matter if you feel or think that you're lost. Your lostness is not determined by your own sense of opinion, but by the expert knowledge of your good shepherd. I have talked to a lot of people about their faith story or their spiritual journey, whatever you call it. And I'm just struck with how few of people start off with their story of saying, listen, I was lost. I was completely a mess. Some do, some do. The vast majority of people sharing their faith story don't start off with, I was completely lost. They use lost language. And this is what it sounds like. I was living life and something was missing. You know, the way that I was going, I was building up, I was working up in my career. I had better sales numbers and figures than anybody else in the office, so they promoted me. I knew that I wouldn't be happy until I had the big office in the corner. Eventually, I made it. Ten years of my life, I gave, and finally, I got. I was the youngest person to ever sit in the big office in the corner. I thought my life would be full. And you know what now? There's just, there's something about it that's missing. My friends, this is the lost language that we use, the missing language that we use. We don't refer to being lost. We refer to things going missing, something lost in my life. Sometimes we do that with success. Sometimes we do that with a financial a status. Sometimes we do that in relationships. That could look like a couple of different ways. Sometimes what that looks like in relationships is, 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 is if I could only find that person, if I could find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, if I could find him or her, and, and if, I could, if I could vow, right, if we could stand in front of a preacher and friends and families and we could, and we could say, till death does us part, we're going to be together. If I could do that, then I'll know who I am and whose I am. Then I'll have meaning. Then I'll have purpose. First comes love, then comes marriage, and the baby and the baby cares, preferably in that order. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this whole thing and I will know my purpose. And then I did that, and I got there, and I had the little one, and I just still can't help but shake the sense that something is missing. And it's that lost language that at some way or another, we can all kind of like latch onto and say, yes, 
I thought I'd feel more whole than that. Relationships, it cuts the other direction too. Same thing, same lostness, same missingness, just entirely different circumstances. Somebody not looking for the one, somebody looking just anyone for the night. And and just in almost kind of this reckless or or free, uh, throwing my body, my sexuality around to anybody willing to take it. And then a few years later, kind of waking up out of that and be like, I thought that another person, she, he would feel that, but it's still something is missing. In the offensive part of Jesus' message to your mind, isn't that there's something in your life that's missing? It's that you may have well become lost. And I recognize, present company included, none of us want to see ourselves, recognize ourselves as lost. But I think Jesus is saying, listen, you don't know. You've just crossed three lanes of highway and you're hanging out in the median and there's no way that you're making it back. It's not like something has gone missing. You are the one who is missing. Something's wrong and you're in danger. We're talking right now about the one sheep that went missing. If we could turn our attention for just a moment to the 99 sheep that stayed found, that didn't go missing. And I think like there's a part of this, it's just like atrocious math on the part of Jesus. You know, the sheep in his day, they were not pets. This was not 100 pets. This was a commodity. They had a dollar value attached to it. And so the fact that Jesus would leave the 99 and not in a pen. I brought a picture of a sheepfold with us. It's kind of, they didn't have woods uh, to build fences around. What they had is they had rocks, lots and lots of rocks with a little opening. And so the shepherd would lay down in that opening to prevent two things, to prevent a coyote from coming inside. And the shepherd would lay down and block that or to prevent the sheep from wandering outside. The shepherd though, by the way, does not leave his sheep in a pen. The shepherd in Jesus' story goes, no, 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 I want to go out of my way to share. There was no sheepfold available. I'm leaving these 99 in open country to go after the one. And everybody listening to this story is saying, this is not a regular shepherd. And you're right, it's not. John 10 verse 11 tells us, this is not a regular shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The math doesn't make sense. None of the story makes worldly sense at all. You think about it from Jesus' perspective and what it took spiritually, what it took physically for Jesus to move from the 99 to reach the one that was sick and vulnerable and in danger. It took Jesus taking up his cross on his back, walking up a hill called Calvary, and then dying on the beam. That's what it took to rescue that sheep. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to choose you. But it makes all the sense in the world for us to choose him. There was this um, this French philosopher a couple hundred years ago. Um, He was a mathematician and a philosopher. Double majors, am I right? Uh, But he he did a lot of writing about math, but also about philosophy and Christian philosophy. He was a person of the faith. His name was uh, Pascal, and and he looked at all factors considered. And he said, you know, when I examined 
what Jesus is asking, nothing short of our whole devotion, our whole lives, for his sake. And when I look at what he's being, what he's asking of us and what he's offering us on just a perspective, a worldly, what makes sense or not. He goes, if we choose him and if we gain, we gain everything. We gain eternity. We gain infinity. And what? If he turns out not to exist and we lose, what do we lose? Nothing. And so he has this famous line where he says, so wager then. So wager then without hesitation that God exists. And I would add, and also that he loves you to death and back again to new life. He would do whatever it takes to come after you and to bring you home. It makes, it's crazy for us not to choose Jesus. But it's even more crazy knowing what it required for Jesus to choose us. That's not the end of the story, though. The end of the story is in verse 6. Listen, then, then the shepherd, then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he said to them, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And the story ends, but Jesus can't help but kind of add on another part. So he steps out of the storyteller, and in verse 7, he goes, I tell you, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The big question this morning, remember, is how does God feel about lost people? How does God feel about vulnerable, missing People living in the highway median in danger with an adversary seeking to harm them. How does God feel about them? And for the Pharisees at the time and the teachers of the law at the time, and quite honestly, a lot of what your idea is or your image of of Christian leaders at this time today, what our idea is, is that God, how does he feel about them? He's going to scold them, scold that sheep, shame that sheep, and beat that sheep down. And Jesus clarifies this for us in John 15. And he says, I'm not beating that sheep down. I'm lifting that sheep up. I'm carrying that sheep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dart across whatever it takes. I'm going to dart across three lanes of highway traffic to make it in the median. And when I get to the median, I'm not going to ask that sheep just to make its way back across three lanes of highway back. I'm going to get to the median. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I'm going to bring it home again. I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether it knows it's missing or lost or not. I'm in charge, and I'm carrying it. I'm carrying it home. Jesus says that I'm not mad that I had to go out and chase you. I'm glad that I finally found you and brought you home. This is our why. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning. This is everything to encounter church. And if this is your first time here with us, and you're just checking this place out, and you want to know what is it about, this is everything. Listen, bold statement time, big statement time. We could have the best worship set ever. We could have the most engaging and friendly small groups where everybody is best friends with everybody else all the time. 
We could have the, the, the best messages that are the perfect blend of encouraging, inspiring, and educational, and, and put all of this together. We could be an amazing, amazing church. But if we didn't do this one thing, to partner with the shepherd, to journey with the shepherd, to go out and find that lost sheep at vulnerable, the highway median, and bring him or her home. If we didn't do that, if we didn't bring as a church people who are far from God to new life in Christ, you will leave and I will quit. Because this is why we exist. You know why? You know why we read the Bible around here? Is it to, is it to get to know? Is it to commune with God? Yeah, sure. But listen, we have, think about it, we have eternity. If you're a Christian and put your hope in Jesus, you have eternity to get to know God, to commune with God. We're going to get a jump start maybe 60, maybe 20 years early, not so that we have a little longer plus eternity to commune with God. No, no. We, we, we read the Bible. We learn about God. We commune with God because we believe that learning more about God is going to better equip us as the 99 to partner with the good shepherd to go out and to bring sheep home that are lost and in danger. It's not about us and, and going to our ivory tower just so we can learn more fun facts about God. It's about bringing those who are far from God to new life in Christ. That's everything. We as a church are going are to push into our greatest missional endeavor yet at a time when churches, when people are closing in up on themselves and going back into the sheep pen and we're going to lay it all down and we're going to risk again and again in a global pandemic to lay the foundation to open a church so that in 2021, when we can, when we're ready to come out, there's going to be a church ready to receive the people of God. We will risk again and again and again. Why? Because we exist to bring people who are far from God to new life in Christ. That is the calling of anybody who puts their hope in him. That's encounters. Why? And for us, an encounter right now in front of us. So we've identified in the Fulton Heights community and just outside 2,791 sheep in the median. And whether they see themselves as lost, whether we see ourselves as lost, my opinion doesn't matter. The knowledge of the shepherd matters. And he's asking us, he's asking you to partner along on the journey. And I'm also aware that some of us are here right now. And you can almost sense yourself in that median. I'm aware that there's people watching online right now. And it's like you sense God's spirit darting in and out of those three lanes highway coming to you. Lighting up whatever shadow it is, tearing down whatever lie, climbing up whatever mountain, coming to find you and put you on his shoulders and bring you home. And I'm telling you, it's time to come home. Can I ask everybody to stand and, and where you are right now? Fulton Street, Farmer's Market, Grand Rapids, stand up. Hager Park, please stand up. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. And church, as I pray for us today, I'm going to end this with a simple prayer. I'm going to ask anybody that wants to come on home 
to give you your invitation. And just simply repeat after me in your hearts. If you prayed this prayer for the first time or for the first time in a while, the Spirit of God is chasing after you. And so, Jesus, we acknowledge that there's many of us in the room that we've wandered away. And maybe we haven't even realized our lostness. It's maybe offensive to our minds that we dare consider ourselves as lost or missing, God. But you know, and God, you're not mad at us for wandering away. You're glad because you're here right now and we're being found by you. And so I just ask everybody now to just repeat this in your hearts. With eyes closed, head bowed. Maybe for the first time, Jesus, I believe. I believe in your death and resurrection. I believe you buried my sin and shame and rose me up to new life. Thank you for my new life. And with your eyes still bowed, closed and your head still bowed. I just want to invite you, if you found yourself echoing after those words and in your heart, praying them for the first time and imagining the Spirit of God moving across the highway towards the median where you're in danger, if you prayed that for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I want to invite you to put your hand in the air. It's just a simple gesture to say, yes, that's me. I'm vulnerable. I'm in danger. Yes. Thank you. Yes. At all of our locations as well. Eyes still closed, heads still bowed, hands in the air. If you're ready to receive Jesus' call in your life, thank you. You can put your hands down. Church, the, the story teaches us that there's going to be more celebrating in heaven over the one who was lost and is found again, the 99 who never went missing. So let's praise God and worship him who's bringing lost people to new life in him. Amen. Let's keep on worshiping the Father together.